Okay, so got a drink? Yeah. Uh, have you had your meds? I've had my meds. Okay, got some water? Yep, I uh, got some water. Okay, have you eaten this morning? Yeah, had some toast. Okay, uh, joined a union? Yep, joined, joined a union, got that done, ticked off. Okay, uh, Molotovs? Uh, yep, pre, pre-prepped. Yeah, uh, just already. just finished putting the, the the final nails and screws in this morning in the Black guillotine. Arts. Yep, uh, I stayed up all night making them all look as pretty as possible. Excellent. Well, I think we are ready to get going. Indeed. About damn time. Greetings, strangers, queer and pleasant. I'm not Laura Kate Magnetdale. And I'm not Jane Eris Magnetdale. And welcome to another episode of Queer and Pleasant Strangers. It's a podcast where two queer trans women... And their cat. And their cat, who currently has one of my arms pinned down. This arm ain't, ain't going arm anywhere. Uh, talk about the media we've consumed in the week and have a bit of a catch-up and do silly voices and such. And pet the cat. And pet the cat. The cat is here. The cat was here for room tone today. Yep. She little... is part of the room tone. Yeah, the room tone kitty. Yeah, the room tone kitty. Yeah. Yeah, so, what, what what have you been up to? What have I been up to? I've been playing things this week. Yeah. Um, I'm still playing Pokemon Legends Arceus, because of course I am. Um, it's... <laughs> It's it's going well. Um, Pokemon Legends Arceus, I'm now in the point of post-game where I am trying to 100% deck entries. Oh, heck. Um, working through them very methodically, working on my shiny Pokemon collection. I went through the decks of available Pokemon in this version of the game and mm-hmm. compared it with the shiny Pokemon from my overall list of species that I don't have currently. Mm-hmm. Um, there are 30 species of shiny I could get in Legends Arceus that I don't have in any other game. Oh, heck. Which would be like a fifth of my remaining shiny list. Wow. Uh, so I'm mainly prioritizing 100%ing those decks entries first. And anytime I see any of them pop up in a mass outbreak, I'm heading to those mass outbreaks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm basically just slowly working in the background on that task. Um... I've slowed down a bit. I've reached the point where I'm like, this is a background task I can do now, and I have other games I have to play for work. I eventually had to move on. But uh, it's a very nice streaming game, and I suspect it's going to be my streaming game for a while. It's just pop in and do a few hours wandering around, ticking off things, and uh, looking for shinies. I did have a a mass outbreak where I found both gendered forms of shiny hippopotamus, on the same mass outbreak, like, 30 seconds apart, which is great. You were telling me that those are pretty wild odds. Yeah, they're pretty pretty wild odds, uh, particularly considering, like, the female version, I think, is, like, a one in eight chance. So, in theory, like, you'd have to see seven male shinies before you found a female shiny. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I'd encountered two shinies in the same mass outbreak, because you're seeing maybe ten Pokémon at... At best, one in 128 odds of each one being shiny. So mm-hmm. two out of ten shiny with each one being one in 128 odds. That's pretty wild. I also had one ten-minute runaround in the first area of the game where I found a shiny Alpha Gyarados, a shiny Wurmple, a shiny Bidoof, and a shiny Starly in the space of ten minutes. Um, I'm having a lot of fun with this game. It's very good. Yay! 
What about you? What you been playing? Oh goodness, uh, mostly board games. Yeah, uh, we played through some Merchants Cove together. Had another game of that. We did. We continued to play Merchants Cove. Yeah. Um, I have good luck with pulling things of colours out of bags. You do. You're very good at pulling. Some things out of bags. I have... How is it you described it? Is I've got hand synesthesia. Yes. You have just an uncanny knack of... Like, okay, we've got to pull a bunch of things out of bags uh, to populate the boats. All the people have got to go on the boats. There are five colours of things in that bag. They are relatively even spread apart. Well, four of them are relatively evenly spread. Yeah. You can, usually out of six boats, have three pairs of things uh, yeah where I, I pull a pair of the same color out multiple times in a row yes. and like here's the thing i would think i was cheating if if it was just happening on like the alchemy the little alchemy board yeah, but the fact but it I'm happens doing, everywhere it happens everywhere i've told i told this story to you i spent a while in my teens convinced that i could pull things out of bags of things by color by feel with better than random chance accuracy. Uh, it used to be M&M's. I used mm -hmm. to uh, pull blue M&M's without looking out of bags of crispy M&M's with a weirdly high success rate given that those should be diminishing in number the more I pull out. Yes. Um, you shouldn't be able to, two out of, like, two thirds plus of the time be pulling out blue ones by having a rummage and going, yeah, that one's blue. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I cannot explain it. Probably just random luck. I have a lot of good luck with shiny hunting. The The universe likes to roll random dice in my favour, but it has convinced me a little tiny little bit in the back of my brain. Maybe I can feel colours. I think you can feel colours. I think it's all part of the synesthesia. Look, I got my, <laughs> brain, my brain does weird stuff with sen senses. Maybe it can feel colours. I don't know. Well, there you go. It's, um, yeah, it can be a bit disheartening to be like, okay, I'm going to use all my strategies. And Laura's like, random chance, woo! <laughs> yeah, I, look, I, I think there is a reason why I get on very well with, um, deck building games. Mm -hmm. I, the, the, the random, I believe in the heart of the cards. The That's, heart of the cards believes in you too. Yeah, I believe in the heart of the cards and now I can blue, <laughs> pull blue M&Ms out of a bag. Yep, and marbles and yep. little meeples. Little meeples. Because and... <laughs> it happens with stuff that is not in any way to my benefit that I'm getting no benefit out of. I'm like, ah, random charts, random charts. Doubles, doubles, doubles. It's uncanny. Yeah. In, in, in an odd way. It's... It's a, it brings me joy. I'm this, glad it brings you joy. My weird little ability to, to <laughs> pull colours out of bags. You bring me joy. You bring me joy. Well, yeah, so Merchants Cove, we've took... Ah! Stop it! <laughs> it's trying to play Scar at you, run! <laughs> but I like Scar. Just not mid-podcast. Yeah. Um... I've thrown myself off completely there. Um, um, yeah, Merchant's Cove. Cove. It's, um, yeah, so we've talked about this before. You have to build small and large items in various uh, colours and sell them to uh, people that come in on, on various boats. And each character the has their own mechanics. Absolutely. So you're playing the alchemist, which is draw marbles out of a bag and use the different coloured marbles yeah. to brew potions. And I was playing the chronomancer, which is uh, tile manipulation and... Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I suppose there's a little bit of engine building in there. Yeah, we've talked about the Chronomancer before. Was this your first time yes. playing them? Yeah, so 
you have two characters that move in sequence around a board and one character can't overtake the other and you're, as you do laps, swapping out what's slotted onto your board for better halves of certain pieces. Mm -hmm. It is a fascinating class to play. Oh, yes. It might be my favourite one I've played. I, I feel like it's one of the ones that you could kind of solve, potentially. Yeah, I said that when I played it the first time. I was like, I feel like there is... An optimal setup to aim for. I don't know what it is, but I yeah. feel like someone has probably come up with here is the the optimal board state for like get these out in the early game, these in the mid, these mm -hmm, in the late. Mm -hmm. Um It feels most like a puzzle to be solved. Yes. Um and I find it really satisfying. Yeah, it's it's, it's certainly more interesting. It, it, it's an interesting one to play. It feels very different to any of the other mechanics. In that it's not a mechanic I think I've experienced in any other game. Yeah. Whereas dice placement with the blacksmith, I understand dice yeah. placement. And um, the alchemist, is there's a degree of random chance and engine building there. And then uh, the, um, the captain. Uh, the captain uh, again, it's it's spin the wheel or roll the dice or something. And it's, it's like a roll and move, but a, a yeah. spin and move, I guess. Um, so yeah, like for the Chronomancer, that is a really unique feeling. I'm maybe people have done it other ways, but I yeah. thought that was a really unique way of of playing that class. Yeah. And uh, yeah, as always, interested to play more Merchants Cove, and at some point, curious to play Merchants Cove with more people. Yes, indeed. And I think that would be fascinating. Indeed. Um, what else have we been playing? I should look at what I've played, shouldn't I? You should. I mean, we played some Tapestry. Oh, I was going to look at what I played, but we can... Yeah, we can... Talk about we can, thing we played. Yeah, um, we played more Tapestry. This we is did. a game we, we've done before. You have different eras that you work through and you're trying to advance your little civilizations. You move around the, the board on four tracks and then also yeah. there's the area control of the, the main center board. We had a very evenly paced game despite playing very different ways and yes. doing our point scoring at very different times in the game. Yes, like you were scoring sort of consistently throughout the game and a lot of my point scoring happened way at the end. <laughs> yeah, I was doing a lot of things that were worth like little points here and there as I went that were like, during this era, gain points every time you do blank. Lots mm. of those kind of things. Mm -hmm. um, and getting a couple of tracks into their low point scoring positions early so that I could start getting little bits over time. Yeah, also you were getting ahead on a lot of the landmarks. Yes. Which meant that you were able to score the um, the capital points where you have a, a line on your capital city. Yes. Held. So, like, I had a, I had an early lead that looked quite considerable. Yes. And then like right... Like, even going into the end, because, like, right yeah. at the very end, I think you were, like, 50 points ahead of me. Yeah, but you you had a few things that cropped up, like, um, you managed to get the 10-point bonus on, um... Uh, um, yeah, I think the financial track I managed yeah. to get, uh, or technology track I managed to get, like, the last, um, last building cleared off of there, which meant when it scored for the final time, I got 10, po 10 yeah. points on that. Um, and you got, like, some, I think your last era got you some good points... Uh, yeah, my last era just about got me some good points. I wasn't yeah. able to use it super effectively. Um, yeah. There were a couple of times I've just forgot to to take points. Yeah. So I kind of screwed myself up a little bit. You'd have absolutely wrecked me if you'd gotten any points off of your uh, your mystic trying to make predictions oh. about yourself. 
Yeah, so I was playing the Mystics. There's a lot of different factions in this game. Yeah. Um, I was playing the Mystics, and that basically requires you to, at the beginning of the game, make predictions about four different aspects of your how you're going to play. Yeah. Like, how many tech cards are you going to pick up? And, and obviously that's when you can super control, but potentially if you aim too low, yeah. you could be massively doing yourself out of points. And if you aim too high... I suppose I probably should have aimed higher, because mm. I got a surprising number of cards, partly through getting other cards that were like, yeah. have another card. I was like, cool, I'll do that. Um, but I th- I don't think I managed to score anything. I went too high on one of them. Yeah. Uh, although that they did get me one resource, it didn't really help with anything else, and everything else I completely missed out on. Yeah. I, I started with an idea for a strategy, and then I sort of scuppered it halfway through so maybe I, I could have done better but i i didn't do great but i'm i'm happy that like i won because i think last time you beat me significantly and this time i, I was about so. six points ahead of you i i went la- the first time i went all in on the transport track and i scored some mm-hmm. really good end game points uh for exploring space yes um but yeah, the the Mystic Faction that you had to make those predictions on, I had that as one of my two options the very first game I played and was like, this seems like a very bad pick for someone who's never played this game and therefore yeah. has no way to predict what a... I have no... I have no point of reference for what a good or bad number of points along a track is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um... You didn't get into space this time, did you? You didn't quite get to the end no, of that track. No, I got as far as having the space shuttle and then, um... It it just wasn't the right last move to make. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I think it was a good move. You got you got your spaceship. Yeah. spaceship. I got I, I got I got the train station and the lighthouse and the spaceship again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You did. You were like, it's okay. I got them the first time, but you can have them this time if you want. And I was like, I've got my own plans. Yeah. <laughs> so you got to have them again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's something else I need to... If I get ever get some time, I'm going to sit down and paint those, because yeah. I think just a little wash on them would look really good. I think so, too. So go on, then, back on the list. Tell us what um, you did. I played a little bit of the uh, online the online beta test for Nintendo Switch Sports. Oh, yes, yeah, so you beat up some small children with swords. Yeah, this is the, the definitely not Wii Sports HD uh, mm-hmm. that's coming to Switch, Um there's a bunch of new sports in it, but a lot of uh, the content that was in this little demo um, that was only available for like 45 minute chunks over a weekend mm-hmm. was, it was mostly stuff from past Wii Sports. Yeah, there so was, I think there's bowling, Yeah, tennis. there was bowling, tennis, and um, sword Benching. fighting. A Shambara, I think they call it, but uh, yeah, sword fighting from Wii Sports Resort. Yeah. Um, the bowling feels really nice. Yeah. Um, it it controls really well. Um, it the mode they showed off for bowling was a battle royale style tournament. Okay. Um, which I wouldn't have thought that would bowling be bowling one hundred. It's it's online multiplayer bowling, which is not a thing I'd ever considered would be neat. And the short version is you bowl. I think like three three lanes at a time. And then the bottom scoring 50% of players are eliminated and you keep going and it sort of score attacks down and down mm-hmm. the number of people. Uh, the pace on it was really was really snappy and it was a surprisingly fun excuse to play Wii Sports Bowling. 
a thing that I probably wouldn't have done, you know, offline solo by myself mm. at this point. Um, the tennis, I feel like Wii Sports Tennis, ultimately there was, um, it was timing. It wasn't about how you were hitting the ball, it was the timing of when you did it, was yeah. 100% what dictated the angle of where your ball went, and mm-hmm. it definitely feels like that is less the case here. Okay. Maybe it's not actually to do with motion and it's just better better implementation of of something game side, but it feels like I had more control of where I was placing that ball right. around what still felt like very simple Wii Sports tennis. Mm-hmm. Um the sword fighting from Wii Sports Resort, honestly the one that feels like it's had the most additions and changes to bulk it up into a more complete experience. Um, I'll say that the time I was watching you play it, you didn't seem to have to constantly reset the no, the, the controller, no, which is something I do remember from Sports Resort. Yeah, um, so the big difference here is you're still like you're on a raised circle platform and you're basically doing sumo Sumo. you're trying to you're trying to knock someone back off the uh the the the, the ring into the water below uh but now there's different sword styles and types with different abilities you can use Mm -hmm. such as there's a charge blade uh the one that i quite enjoyed was a two-handed style where you've got a different sword in each hand um, and you can use either one for defense or attack, and you can swap back and forth easily between them. Um, it works really well. Um, it's got a very pun- uh, punch-out on the Wii style of, like, you've got a single button that is just dedicated to that that sword is now blocking, and you switch to the block stance, but otherwise it's still motion, mm-hmm. and you're trying to basically 90-degree angle block incoming yeah. swords, and... That creates stuns. You've got a bit of an opening to attack. Um, some of the controls almost felt comparable to like uh, the Switch port of Skyward Sword HD in that things like um, the spin attack is move both con- mo- both swords if you're doing the two-sworded style to the side at the same time, the same way that you set off that mm-hmm. uh, spin attack. Yeah. It played really nicely, and I'm very curious to see what that's like when more people are playing it. It's Wii Sports mm-hmm. in HD. It's very pretty looking. It's it's, it's, a, it's, it's it's new Wii Sports. Do you want to play Wii Sports but a bit different and a bit updated? Seems like more Wii Sports. Fuck yeah. Yeah. What about you? What you been playing? Um, well, uh, oh, I played through some more Caverna. I had a very intense solo game of Caverna where I pulled out all of the tiles, not just the the basic set. Ooh, how did that go? Uh, it took me a really long time. Yeah, j- <sighs> just because there were lots of new things to and learn what they inebriated. mean. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I sat staring at Caverna for about three hours. I mean, you you were playing at a reasonable pace at first. <laughs> Uh, there was a point where I looked over and I was like, I don't know how you're still playing this. <laughs> I didn't know how I was still playing it. Yeah. I sat there with my head in my hands going, I don't know what to do. <laughs> we uh, we had we had a night. We had a lovely night. We had a very chill night. <laughs> Thanks, friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, um, yeah, it was... I'd, there isn't a huge amount to worry about with those extra tiles. Yeah. Like, you can start pondering more uh, engine buildy stuff. Mm. Because obviously there is more potential for interactions. But apart from that, 
like the icons are all the same. There's nothing particularly special to learn. It's just like, hey, I can get a bonus for doing this thing now. Cool. I'm going to do that. There's um, a couple of rooms that you can build that are for two dwarves. Yeah. So for the for the cost of one space and a lot of resources, yeah, you can fit two dwarves on the same space, meaning you can make the most of your cavern. There's another tile that allows you to do, uh, if you've got a double length tile, you can overhang it off your board. Ooh. Which means you can potentially get even more stuff on your board if you can squeeze it all out in time. Yeah. I, I still feel like I need to move faster in that game. Like, I constantly feel like I'm never moving fast enough. But I hit a score of, like, 76, I think. Yeah. And, uh, like, I was aiming for at least 80. So I don't think I did too badly. No, no. Um, Assuming I did everything correctly. It it was getting very intense there for a while. (laughs) um, Yeah, it's... I'm I'm very much enjoying that game. And it is a fun, brain-bendy sort of thing to do. And the, the solo in that is pretty cool. Uh, rather than having a um, like a random shuffled setup for the uh, age cards or the the, mm. the season cards, you lay them out in a particular order, so you can kind of plan for things if you know what that order is yeah. in solo. But uh, there's uh, there's only as many seasons as there are in the the two playing game. Yeah. So you've got like you skip round nine entirely, and. Um, if there's more than six things on any of the cards at the beginning of a turn, they all disappear. Oh, so you can't do what we did and have a turn where you pick up like 14 wood at once. Yes. You wouldn't that, be able to manage that. That Yeah, that it, seems... It really unfair. makes you be like, oh, I've, I've got to do something, but I don't know which thing to do, and I've got to do it quickly. Yeah. Uh, okay, I kind of like that. Yeah. Um, I managed to get like quite a good farm going, because my plan yeah. was like, focus on farming. Do as much farming as possible. And towards the end, there were periods when I had, like, an entire field just full of pumpkins. It it does feel like the game rewards you a lot for committing to one, like, this is going to be my main point scorer. Yeah. And sort of committing to it. I have heard people saying that um, in a game where, like, two people are fighting for one particular thing, yeah. if you go for something else, you will probably win. That entirely makes sense. So, something to note if we ever play in higher player counts. Don't fight someone else for a thing, do your own thing. Exactly. I think think that worked very well for me with my big army of sheep. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that was great, because you got the the weaving room and got a point for every sheep. Yeah, I I had a a a setup when we played together where I was generating bonus points for every sheep, plus... Bonus points for every set of three animals. And I'd really gone in hard on making sure I had the biggest field possible so that I could just get a couple of sheep early and go multiply, 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 multiply. Yeah, you got 16 sheep in that one field. Yeah, I did a lot of having multiple sets of sheep so that like they'd each produce an offspring and then I'd That's shift all... That's not how all... that works. No, then, was it... Oh, you mean like multiple different yeah. types of animals? Mul- multiple different types of animals, yes. and then I could move like them all. Like, okay, you've multiplied. Let's shunt you off so that there's still space for you to multiply. Shunt you off, more space for you to multiply. Yeah. And just so kept... is the joy the fact that you can move everything around? Yes, at we... any time. Exactly. It meant that I could be doing things like this room that only has room for um, a very small number of sheep. 
that's my breeding pen, and then I move them over to the, the stockpile where I know that there's space. <laughs> I've had as many sheep... I had more... I had so many sheep, you could barely fit them on their double paddock. Yes. With double paddock with double stables? Yes. Yes. That was a lot of sheep. A lot of sheep. And a lot of sheep. And, and yeah. all the things to, to make that work better. Yeah. Nice. Well, uh, what else have you played? Um, I've been continuing to play um, some Horizon Forbidden West. Mm-hmm. Not a huge amount extra to say about it, but I, I can talk a little bit more openly about the like the very basic early game plot premise now, because the game's out and I don't feel too spoilery about that. The very early premise of the game is um, spoilers for Horizon Zero Dawn that came out five years ago. That game was set in the aftermath of a techno-apocalypse. Um, the reason why matriarchal society is a big thing is because women went, okay, we're in charge now that men fucked it up the first time. But also, very specifically, like you play that first game as a clone of a female climate scientist who was basically trying to make a terraforming system to fix the planet. Um, and because you are a clone of her, you can go through doors that she set up to be DNA locked, basically, to go and try and fix the terraforming system mm. on the planet. Forbidden West, the basic premise that like I'm very into is we're off looking for a backup of this this um, climate control terraforming project. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of billionaires just before the planet fucked up that went, hey, what if we went to space, got away from the dying planet? Go, go to space. Yeah, go, go start a new planet somewhere else. Um, and then they looked back at Earth and went, oh, you survived. Mm. We could capitalism back there if you're all right. Terraform Earth Avenue capitalism space. Subjugate. Subjugate. Either subjugate or just like hit reset on the planet and just move yeah. some of our people back there mm, once it's good. Mm, mm. Um, it is. It's basically your villain is Jeff Bezos who successfully fled Earth and then went, "Hey, Earth didn't die. Oh, cool. I'm ha- I'm having Earth back." Um, very good, very hateable villain <laughs> concept. Um, I mechanically. <sighs> I'm having the same problem that I had with Horizon Zero Dawn mechanically, and I'm playing this game very differently to get around that, which is I get overwhelmed by Horizon Zero Dawn's open world design structure in that I constantly feel like there's a thousand different things I should be doing before I progress, and that I'm doing something wrong if I don't do all of them before I progress, but also there's way too many things. And then all all signposted, and what if there's an NPC somewhere that I just didn't walk past, and they've got a quest that I didn't see, and ah, it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So I've been playing this largely as a linear game, and going, if I come across a cool side quest, cool, I'll do it. I'm not going to go actively looking for them. Maybe I'll come back and do them in the Mm post-game, or I'll look up a list of best side quests, and I'll go track those down. I'm just going to play this as a pretty linear game, and just pretend that there's not a lot of side quests. Mm. And I'm having a better experience for that um the first horizon i had the same problem kind of as i had with mass effect where i picked it up and played the start of the game several times and never got further than a little way in yeah and it took me a while to realize what the problem was and how i could get around that and Mm -hmm. i've been having a better time with forbidden west because of that yeah nice yeah what about you what you've been playing oh uh well i 
I played some more um, The Last Kids on Earth and the Staff of Doom. Ooh, how's that been going? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I did some on stream the other day, uh, on, on Thursday. Yeah, it's not gripping me. It, it has good ideas, but the gameplay loop is not enough, I don't think, to, to keep me going. I gave it another try, and I, I don't know, I think I think it's had two, two sessions. And yeah. if it hasn't gripped me by now, I think it's fine to step away from that. I think that's a very reasonable... Gave it a try. Yeah. It might be for someone else. Um, yeah, the, I didn't feel like there was. In, I was getting enough of the build new stuff and go new places and get get new things and upgrade your things to make it worth advertising at that and not a basic isometric shooter with occasional driving sections and zombies. Yeah, but there was that. Uh, also started playing Secret of Mana Turbo. Ooh, tell me about Secret of Mana Turbo. Uh, so it is a uh, patch for the SNES game Secret of Mana. Yeah. Where you are, basi- basically you have, uh, the- they turn the stamina meter off. Okay, So yeah. you know how you would have to like attack, yeah. wait for the thing to hit 100 again, then you can attack again mm. at full power. Or if you spam it, you're going to do almost no damage. Yep. Um, so yeah, it gets rid of that entirely. Which really makes the game move faster. Yeah. I'm following the plot this time. Yay. <laughs> this reminds me very much of the um, the sort of tweaks that Square Enix has added to some of the remasters of things like uh, some of the ports of Final Fantasy games. Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy VII, if you play it on Switch, for example, like turn the speed up to 500%, um, turn off random battles, increase experience gain, mm-hmm. bam. Like... I appreciate being able to go replay a game I remember fondly but don't have time to grind in. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm enjoying the whole... Um, so so they've increased the number of items you can have. I think in the original yeah. you could only have four of each item. Yeah. And now I think it's set to seven or eight. Yeah. Which is quite nice. Um, there's some balancing around some of the spells. I haven't mm. actually got that far yet, but... Um, I'm told that is all in there. There, There is like a huge checklist that you can go through when you first download it. Yeah. Or when you start patching the ROM. And it's like, okay, have you, do you want this? Do you want this on and off? Oh, I appreciate that. There's just so many settings. It's like, oh, okay, I will have that on. Uh, you can make enemies harder if you yeah. wanted to. This... Which would, would, I suppose, have balanced yeah. with some of the stamina stuff. This feels a lot like when you set up something like um, certain Pokemon randomizers or... Um... The Link to the Past randomizer, where you've got, mm. you're like, what do you want for this? What do you want for that? Build your own little custom ROM. Yeah. One of the ones I particularly like in um, Lost Randomizer was um, being a Moogle. Yeah. I want to do it as a Moogle. That will be fun. <laughs> do you want different music, different coloured hearts? Yeah. Um, I think currently Griffin McElroy is streaming a playthrough of A Link to the Past where he's playing as Guy Fieri. Okay. Um, yep, sure. Through a similar mechanism, I'm like, yeah, let let people play games as weird characters. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've spent a lot of time looking at that adorable little yeah. Link. Well, let's have a Moogle or a Guy Fieri, I guess, <laughs> or a Dalek. I don't know. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. There was from a Snes drunk video talking about um, the best uh, patches or just enhancement patches for Snes games, and I was like, I'll. Oh, you know what, I'll give uh, Secret of Mana uh, Turbo a, a look. I've also got the um, Super Metroid Redux. Ooh, yeah. Um, d- 
done, uh, so I'm going to give that a go at some point. That looks like that's quite interesting. It's added that thing with the doors that will tell you what things you need to get through. Yay! So, like, the doors will show up as blue if they're neutral, red if they need a, a missile, uh, yellow if they need the um, super mind that's thing. That's so... It's such a nice quality of life thing. It makes so much sense. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to getting a bit further through that. Also, I'm not I don't remember synthesized speech in Super Metroid. I could be wrong. I don't either. The, me... I don't remember the last Metroid is is dead or whatever being synthesized speech. I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong. It's been a very long time since I seriously sat down and played that. Um, but that was a bit like ah, ooh, interesting, snazzy. Mm. Uh, what else have you played? Um. Uh, the only other thing I've really played was we played Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. We, we continued did. with that. We did a bunch of loyalty quests. We um, did. We did your loyalty quest and my character's loyalty quest. Yep. So I'm playing as the Void Warden, so we yep. had to do a whole um, wave attack thing while there was a whole area of the map we couldn't go into. Yeah. Um, and Which... just defending wards. Which worked really well for your character's new gimmick, in that we could draw everyone to a specific point yep. and get a bunch of advantages for that. Yep, I think we made the most of that. Yep, um, we did my loyalty quest where I was destroying a building um, by hitting lots and lots of objectives and having lots and lots of obstacles to demolish. Something you've been lacking as as the as the uh, demolitionist. Yeah, it was a mission where it was 100% like, right, all all of you fight the things. I'm going to do infinity big hits on these things. Laura smash. Ah. It it was a good opportunity to try out my new uh, my new little miniature. Mhm. That's been very good. Yeah. Um, I feel like my character's really reaching a point where, like, they're mechanically working how I want them to, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is really nice. Um, I like my new my new little pair of boots. Got well, yeah, new, you got new boots. Got new boots for my character, which are cool. Yeah. Um, you let me have your loyalty mission item. Yes. Um, um, I, I, I'm sure it's fine, but I feel like a lot of my cards already do that thing. So yeah. I was like, you know what, I'll, I could give this to someone else. And I, keep my studded yeah. leather. I, I think the intention was for it to be like, hey, we're encouraging you to spec even further down this line and to really do this thing a lot. Yes. But you were like, I can already do that and I'd like to be less squishy while I do it. I'd like, more more than anything else, I'd like to be able to heal people more. Yeah. Because neither you nor our Red Guard have a huge amount of healing. Yeah. Or rather, Redguard has healing and they keep not adding it to their deck because they're <laughs> relying on me. So, yeah. um, Well, I mean, I've added a bit of healing into my own deck now and I've got like a one-off item I can use to heal. Potion, yeah. I've got my miniature that when I send it out, I get a big heal. And I've been doing a bit, a bit, bit too early. Like, I did it quite early in my loyalty mission. Mm-hmm. Just because I wanted to get like going off the off the bat, but, like yeah, yeah. I could do myself like oh like my full health healed once in a couple mm. of little chunks. Oh yeah, which I'm, I'm getting better at being less fragile. Oh yeah, you're way less squishy. And and for someone who was upfront and smashy as you have been, yeah, that has really been sort of like more comforting because I spend less time 
chasing you. Yeah. Like, oh god, ah, like, I'm coming. I, I'm I coming. think it helps that like yeah. I can self heal in a pinch, but also I have me- a mechanics to dash myself away. Like I can, I've got enough movement stuff now that I can dash in, do the big punch. And also run back to you. Yeah. So there was at least one mission there where, like, you... I think you you did your thing really early, so you got your, your bonus that would have healed you. And then you went sort of running off ahead and almost got down to, what, three hit points, I think it was? Yeah. And I was like, I'm coming, but also I'm dying myself. And I was like, like, I was like don't worry, I can run back to you. You did eventually run back to me. I, sp- yeah. I spent most of that game... Either standing still, because I nearly died on the first room. Yeah, it was a rough one. We, as a team, really struggle with... Uh, there's an enemy that's a poisonous viper that gets bonus damage if yeah. it's near other vipers, and they tend to attack in swarms. Yep. They're a lot. It also didn't help that our red guard, who prim- is our primary damage dealer most of the time, had a uh, like a secret loyal- secret mission to do... That was don't kill any elites, and it was a yeah. room. It was just full of elites, and I'm... well, the problem wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't even that. Like he was having trouble not targeting elites. It's that everything didn't was want to at- risk killing them. Yeah, everything was attacking in big groups, and very specifically, his character is built around everything approach me, take damage as you approach me, and deal damage to everything near what I just damaged. Yeah. So he's not very good at targeting individual things for damage. He does a lot of splash damage to things around and wearing everything down. Yeah, there was there was a lot of um, hey, I'm going to do this big attack on that thing. Oh, I've killed that thing. Can I un- can I undo? Can that I roll? Thing? Can, can I, I roll, roll that back? Because I'm about back. to fuck up. Yeah, I know we're not supposed to talk about the secret missions, but yeah, we we did though because whatever it's... we were having fun. I think that's the the thing with with Gloomhaven. You can get very stuck in the mud about rules and stuff, and fail as many missions as you want. But sometimes better to just have fun I, with it. Yeah, like look, rules lawyering in D anD D is not an incorrect way to play D anD D, but it's also like, hey, sometimes you're just playing with friends and you want to have fun, and maybe the DM fudges a roll so that you don't die, so that you can feel cool, like, you know. There's a little bit of sometimes you you, you you turn your head the other way at the rule a little bit so you can have a fun yes. time. We have moderate peril. Yeah. Rather than, uh, to, you, oh, you've died. Well, now you have to start the whole mission again. That's yeah. two hours of your lives wasted. It's, it's a case of we have limited time to play this game yes. with this friend and we... We have rather committed that they are the Gloomhaven friend. Exactly. <laughs> and we're having a great time and I think... That like we're not opposed to occasionally replaying a mission, oh, yeah. no, no, but also if someone makes it known what their loyalty mi- their their mission is because they're lagging behind on ticks, and we work around it a little to make sure that they complete their mission, even if that means the mission takes a bit more time and is a bit trickier. Yeah. We do that because we want to progress as a group, and yeah, know. we're not trying to speed run it, but at the same time, like valuing our own time. Yes. And having the power to be like, we value our own time, we'll we'll do this thing. Exactly. It's not like uh, me solo playing Gloomhaven Digital, yeah. where I'm happy to keep playing the same mission over and yeah. over and over there's, and over and over There's again. a difference between like, I will do that with my own time when it's only me and my yeah. own time, whereas if it's time shared with a friend, which is a limited resource, I'm yeah. like, there's a little bit of me that's like, 
I want to see new things with this friend. Yeah. And it, if this was the only Gloomhaven we had and Frosthaven wasn't imminently on the horizon and Gloomhaven itself wasn't an option, maybe we'd do a bit more replaying. But also, even playing at the pace we're pay- playing, this is going to be a few years of playing games together that we're going to have a great time with. Yeah, I think so. I yeah. Mean, I think... We, I think we could probably finish Jaws of the Lion within the year, which is probably fine because yeah. Frosthaven is coming. Yeah, I think exactly. we've got maybe ten missions we haven't played, and some yeah. of those might be split decisions. Indeed. And, yeah. I I think that we're playing at a pace that is good for us, and we're, oh, having, yeah, a, we're having a lovely time. Also, we did another. We had another one of those moments of a split decision in the game. Yeah, it's like you can go here or you can go here, and there will be a different map. Yeah, there will probably be different rewards. We don't know if there's different yeah. outcomes. But the first time we did that, it was very clearly like you go to one, and then you go to the damaged version of the one you didn't go to first, and it very quickly was like, here's what the other branch was. Mm-hmm. This seems a lot more involved in that we picked the first part of the branch, and now it's like, okay, well from here. You can go deeper into this path you've picked, or onto this optional side path, and nothing is yet pointing you back towards the other side of the fork. Yeah. Um, With uh, standard Gloomhaven, there's a couple of things like, hey, if you don't go back to the city right now, you can carry on and do another mission. You won't get a city card to do, but you also won't take one of those, like, random on-the-road events. Yeah. Um, Obviously, we don't have those in Jaws of the Lion, but... There are a lot in, in main Gloomhaven of, yeah. you've stepped out of the city, draw a road card, you're going to have an experience now, and it's probably not going to be great, and you're probably about to start a mission having a really bad time before you've even got there. Oops. Yeah, so those missions are yeah. like a, hey, should we just keep going? Yeah. We don't get to go to the merchant, but, you know. Yeah. Um, and we started having new mechanics introduced as well. Like, I yeah. finally started to get piercing stuff yes. as a thing where I can get breakthrough shields a bit now, which is nice. Yeah. Gloomhaven's really... Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion's fab. It's fab. It's a really good introduction to that game. Yeah. And I hope that they carry some of that over into Frosthaven for people who haven't played before. Yes. Um, I like that all the characters from all versions of, of Gloomhaven uh, are going to be uh, possible to move into each other. Yes. So, like, we we have only had the three of us, so no one's been playing the hatchet. Yeah. And from what I've read online, people really like the hatchet There's, and they are a good yeah, class. So it's... I might take the opportunity, maybe, yeah. when Frosthaven arrives, to maybe play the hatchet as my first I, character. I, I'd be very up for that. I was going to suggest, I think one of us should probably play the hatchet, because it'd be really nice to see them playing. If you want to jump on the hatchet, I'd love to see that. Yeah. I mean, I'm the other one I'm really looking at for that is the Bone Shaper, who's like a, a, yeah. a necromancer. I really like the idea of that character, so, you know, those two will probably be, in in, in any order, my first two classes yeah. for first aid. I'm, I'm looking at the uh, the speed... Uh, I want to call uh, them the, the speedster. Yes, yes. The one that has fast and slow versions oh, yes. of each. Of the Top and bottom have left and right as well, depending yes. on your speed. So and many options on a card. Yeah, I want to know more about... Because the video we watched that explained those cards didn't explain, like, how you move between those modes... Are you using up a resource? If so, how do you generate that resource? Mm-hmm. Like, it's very unclear how you use fast mode, but I find 
the back and forth really neat. Yeah, I think some of that connects to that uh, Gemini character who has basically two decks. Yes. Left brain and right brain. So you're, um, in that you have at the bottom of the card that you're changing brain. Yes. I think in Blink Blade you have things on the card that say you're changing speed. Um, there was only one card I noticed that said anything about that, that mm-hmm. it was generating a, one card was generating a resource. Uh, okay. But it only, maybe it's because it's the starting deck you start with, like, most of what you're doing is slow and only once per, once around the deck you can do a fast action, and maybe mm. there's more cards later that generate more fast maybe, maybe. resource. Maybe as they train they will get better at their stamina yeah. and stay faster for longer. It. There's a lot to, yeah. to still learn about that, but I'm very excited. We've just had update 100 yeah. uh, on on Frosthaven, so I think now that uh, Chinese New Year is finished and the factory is starting to open up, I believe printing is going to start, and I am excited to see Frosthaven do its thing, because I think that's going to be years more fun for us as a group, yeah. and possibly even getting you know maybe someone else to drop in, drop out. As that would be an option. It's it's a fun thing to think about. And a whole city to build and improve and have experiences with. Yeah. Uh, have you played anything else? Um, No, that's it for me. Have you played anything else? No, that's it for me. Well then. Oh, time for this. Every day, some awful shit happens. But you can help stop things getting too bleak for someone you care about by sending them cute pictures. Cats, bunnies, ducks, bats, even Bulbasaur wearing little rain boots and a cute hat. In these dark times, you can help those you care about get through the day. Cute pictures. They make all the difference. Oh my goodness, that baby beaver's wearing a tiny duxedo. I'm here in Hackney, reporting on the case of Martin Fortescue Smythe, a lifelong Tory and awful bigot. He recently broke up from a two-day romance when his former partner, Rachel Klein, realised what a despicable excuse for a human being he was. It was here, on this high street, at about four in the afternoon yesterday, while getting out of a taxi, when Fortescue Smythe criticised Klein for thanking the driver, stating, That's his job. What are you thanking him for? That's just what he's paid to do. It was at that moment that Klein broke off the relationship and told Fortescue Smythe to go eat an entire bag of dicks. And as per local bylaws, it is a legal requirement that anyone charged thus must consume an entire £12 bag of raw, severed members within the following 24 hours. So come on down to Hackney High Street, we're just outside the cut cost off licence, and watch this awful human being force down nasty, nasty dicks while passers-by throw creosote-soaked rags at him. He's got so many left, it's hilarious, and only about four hours left to go. Come on down and watch this awful Tory bastard just eat an entire bag of dicks. Oh, this is wonderful. And a creosote rag, thank you! <laughs> dicks. So, <gasps> what have you put in your peepers? Uh, I've not put a lot in my peepers this week. No? Um, I had, I've looked, I, I went I went and saw a thing with my eyes, but I'm probably going to put it in the listened section. That makes sense. I went and saw some live music. I never know what section to put that in. Ooh, we got, we were up to date on Discovery. Yes. Um, that continues to work towards a very dra- dramatic climax. Um, mm-hmm. Star Trek Discovery really killing it this season. Um, I think it's a testament to this show that I have been able to predict several of the key plot beats 
but that the delivery of them and the execution of them has been strong enough that I haven't cared that it's been a little predictable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've known where it's going, but the how it gets there and the performances around it have really held it up. Yeah, I mean, that has such a great cast, and it's... I'm enjoying how it's written, I'm excited for where it's going, and I'm... I'm so glad I don't get involved in online fan groups anymore, because from what I hear, the discovery boards have been fucking awful. Oh, it... But, like, I don't care because I'm really enjoying it. And I'm, uh, yeah. I I know other people IRL who are also really enjoying it. So, yay. Fuck Nerd Rage. Indeed. Uh, what about you? What have you watched? Oh, I watched a, uh, a YouTube thing called... Let me just find the title here. What the fuck is vinegar? And what is its mother? Okay. So, it's about uh, vinegar, where it comes from. And uh, sort of centres largely around uh, a guy who was uh, trying to make a maple wine. Mm. And uh, he left it out in the open and it had developed like a a little slime on top. Okay. And the slime was eating the sugar and turning it into... Uh, uh, sorry, the so it was starting to ferment into alcohol. Yes. And then bacterium from the air got in and started eating the alcohol. And turning it into uh, acetic acid. Yes. Which is what is the main ingredient, or the the common ingredient in vinegars. Yeah. And it apparently there is a whole process of, once you sort of get that to the right amount, and the amount of acetic acid is, is correct, you do like pH testings on it, and then you seal it off from the air, mm. so that the, uh, the, the slime on top, the mother, uh, dies, which... Kind of reminds me of people who make kombucha when it's it's got a yeah. scoby on top. I yeah. don't know why one is a scoby and one is a is a mother, but yeah, it's and you can make uh, like samples of this and send it off as someone else as a vinegar starter. Huh. Uh, I didn't much know... like a scoby. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> think about how similar those two are. Huh. Yeah, and apparently, if uh, you can get to a point where. If you don't cut off the oxygen supply, yeah. then it will keep eating all the alcohol and then even the, the vinegar will go bad. Yeah. But, like, yeah, it's this whole thing about how how vinegar do and the history of vinegar and um, then, like, a brief dip into pickling. People yeah. discovered the concept of pickling through vinegar and it's like, that's kind of cool. Nice. I learned a thing. Um, uh, have you watched anything else? I looked at the Wikipedia page for Daniel Osen. Um, because you were just asking in the gaming section about whether originally there was a synthesized voice in uh, Super Metroid. Yes. Dan- Daniel Osen is the synthesized voice at the start of um, of Super Metroid. Right. Who says, the last Metroid is in captivity, the galaxy is at peace. Yes. Um, I've just been learning about Dan- uh, Daniel Osen. Um, he... A live watch. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, he is... He is an American video game translator at Nintendo of America right. who was very instrumental in a lot of the NES through N64 era official first party Nintendo game translations, right. particularly the Legend of Zelda series. Oh. He is the primary person behind the English versions of dialogue in Zelda games. Um, but yeah, he is one of the first English language voices used on a Nintendo console because his is the voice at the start of Super Metroid. Okay, so it is um, original. 
Yeah. Cool. It, it's in the original game. Apparently he translated about 10% of the script for Earthbound before um, oh, wow. moving the project over to someone else. Like, that's a thing I've been learning Yay. about. What about you? You watch anything else? I, I mean, I think that's everything. That's, uh, it's, it, was a, it was a short week for having time to watch things. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I watched that I wanted to bring up is I uh, watched a video this morning called How Budget Airlines Work. Oh, yeah. That was interesting. Yeah. So we knew some of this, obviously. Um, and this is from the channel Wendover Productions. Um, I knew, obviously, that, like, they use cheaper seats, for example, that don't recline, but also part of that is to do with if they don't recline, there are fewer parts that have to be cleaned and like moved to clean between between flights, mm-hmm. which means faster turnaround. Um, uh, budget airlines don't typically uh, allow for connections uh, and mm-hmm. connecting flights because there there's the risk that you if they're late, you'll miss the connection, they'll have to rebook you, that's additional expense for them. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realise that there was also history of things like um, buying up huge numbers of planes during the um, the panic post 9-11, mm-hmm. when the airline industry was really struggling. A lot of budget airlines took out huge loans to buy huge fleets of ships at massive discounts because the market was crashing. Mm-hmm. Um a lot of it is to do with not having returning hub cities, where like most airlines will go oh, you want to fly with us to, you know, from America to Germany? Well, all of our flights go through London, so you do an America to London, a London to Germany, whereas the budget airlines will typically have a lot more um, interconnecting routes that don't have, like, a home base they all return to. Mm. Um, There's stuff like the economics of renaming airports so they sound like they're in major cities, (laughs) even if they're not technically in them, but they're close enough with good enough transport links that people won't really notice. Is this like naming polytechnics and universities in the UK way back in the 80s? Yeah. So, like, um, if you get an EasyJet flight to Paris, it's not technically to Paris. It's to an airport that is close enough to Paris and they've named such and such Paris, despite it not technically being in Paris. Right, yeah. Um... There's a lot of interesting economics to it. Uh, they only fly the same class of plane for the entire like fleet, no matter where they're flying them, mm-hmm. because then they only have to train operators on how to fly, clean, work a single type of ship. You don't have to train them on yeah. multiple plane brands. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, interesting. Interesting the economics yeah. of of how these things work. Um, I think that's everything I've put in my eyes well, last week. <gasps> Time for this. Laura, Laura, we've got a new sponsor. Who's our new sponsor? Well, do you sometimes like to snuggle in bed a little bit later after perhaps I mean, nine o'clock? I mean, I do. Occasionally, sometimes a Wednesday, you know, yeah. that's the morning where we sometimes don't have to be up quite well, so I mean, early. You know, it, it doesn't help that, you know, that's your... The it's, night after a late recording. Exactly. I'm usually recording till two or three in the morning. You know, yeah. I, I could do with a bit of a line on a Wednesday usually. Yeah, absolutely. Well, would you like some sort of method where you don't have to get out of bed, but you are telling whoever is ringing the door that you are approaching? Oh my God, please. I, I There is no worse feeling in the world than being snug in bed at like half ten in the morning and the door goes and you're like, oh God, 
They're not going to wait around for me. They are going to assume I'm awake at this point. Or they're going to assume that you're not in at this point. Well, that's that's the problem, is if I don't get to the door within, like, five seconds with clothes on, they're going to assume that I'm out, because clearly, if I were awake and clothed, I'd be at the door by now. As a normal person should be at that time of day, they assume wrongly. exactly. Yeah, so, well, what if there was the device, try the I'm still in bed, give me a second system. (gasps) You just hit a button. When the doorbell goes, and it will turn on a little light on the front door, alerting the postal worker or delivery person that you will need a moment so as not to be naked in their direction. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, no more quick. I'm half asleep. What clothes can I technically put on fast? What? Am I wearing somebody else's dressing gown? Am I wearing somebody else's trousers? Is this dressing gown long enough that if they're coming up the stairs to the door that I'm not, like, creating an angle where they can see anything? I'm, I picked up this bondage gear and apparently I can't get into it enough, thanks PVC, in order to get to the door within a reasonable amount of time. Well, exactly. Just let him know I need a sec. Can I button up enough of this onesie to get there? <laughs> anyway, that is I'm Still In Bed. Give me a second system.lol.net and enter the code QNPS202. <gasps> We should have recorded this yesterday on Tuesday. Yeah, we would have been t- uh, 2222222202. Yeah. Anyway, that is still in bed. Give me a second, system.lol.net, and go and get your discount for 20% off your system. Inside the boardroom of Supremacy Software. Hi. Hi. So, uh, I've been doing some market research, uh, trying to work out what all the all the video game fans want. Yeah. And there's a trailer one of our competitors has done that has got the internet, you know, talking, talking so right. much. Have you seen the the the, the Carby? Carby. The the pink blob that tries to swallow a car and can't quite do it, and now he's stretched around a car. Have you mistaken some kind of war? For a video game. No, it's it's an actual video game. They've got a mode. They call it mouthful mode. The, yeah, and the creature stretches. Not vor. Well, see, I it's vor. It's clearly vor. Right, but right. like, it's also it's definitely in a video game, and it's a mechanic. And people... oh, it's bring your kink to work day. Yeah. yeah. So, like, here's yeah. what I'm wondering: is what I feel like this is an untapped market, right? Like stealthing some kinks into games so that people right. will buy them. So right. what, what kinks can we make in a gameplay mechanics? Uh, I mean, we could, uh, something involving bare feet. Yeah. Distract yeah. your enemies by taking your shoes off. Uh, stealth mechanics, you make less noise if you have your feet out in high definition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. What about, uh, inflation? You've got to float up to the top of a level. Oop, you got to get inflated real big. I feel like that's been done before, but maybe we could make yeah. it sexier. Yeah, I, I realized that the current one did that as well. The blob drinks a bunch of water and then is really big. Um, yeah, what if we made Shadow of the Colossus sexier and it was just about gigantism or the macro thing? Well, I mean, I feel like, you know, gigantism, we're already getting in that that direction because there's the big vampire lady everyone loved because she was very tall. Yeah, but like, what if she was taller? Exactly. What if she was uh, 30 feet and had even bigger mommy milkers? Attack of the 50-foot mommy milkers. Exactly, exactly. Uh, what else we got? Um forced uh forced hypnosis that's yeah. probably a thing right like oh yeah i hear that's you know yeah, a huge your, thing your character is being taken over uh 
by four so that's so we can that we can explain away all the bad control schemes in our game by exactly. just oh it's a hypno thing yeah it's a hypno thing yeah 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 it's, I like uh, it. I it's like probably it. a sex thing that the controls don't work yeah okay okay so what about making games so addictive that there's never a good break point in it and people have to stay in front of their consoles for hours and hours and hours to the point that they wet themselves I mean, I feel like MMOs have already got that one covered. But we could make it a, a feature. I mean, look, I feel like the problem is the more we go through this, the more I'm realizing this is already a thing in video games. Um, yeah. You remember that uh, that uh, that music uh, rhythm puzzly game from years ago where um, they sold it with a vibrating controller that pulsed with the music and it was very popular yeah. for that reason? Like, I feel like... I thought this was a brand new, brilliant idea, and I'm suddenly realizing video games are already very kinky. That's okay. We'll just make it again. We'll just do it again. We'll, we'll reboot all of these things together in one game. Oh, so it's a game that has a... It's got vor, inflation, vibrating controllers. Stealth mechanics where you're fapping in a bush. You are a fucking genius. I know. So... <gasps> What have you put in your ears? I mean, the main thing is uh, the night before we record this, I went and saw Bears in Trees playing in London at the... Uh... The Bears were playing in the trees in London. The Bears were was playing it, were in Were you in Hyde trees? Park? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I went to I went to the Electric Ballroom in Camden, which I love that venue. I've never been to the Electric Ballroom. Oh, it, it's a really <laughs> good venue for like the barrier being very close to the stage, mm -hmm. um, the stage not being hugely elevated up. Mm -hmm. Um, not a lot of like side clutter on the stage, so you can be at the sides of the rooms and still get very good views of the the crowd. Um, it's also a venue that they don't tend to oversell tickets for, yeah. which for a small venue is really nice because it means like you can generally like even if there's already a bunch of people in there, you can get very near the front as long as you're like slightly to a side. But it's not that wide a venue, so mm. you're not like getting that much of a side angle. Yeah. It's one of my favourite London music venues. Mm -hmm. um, really, really lovely night of music. Um, Bears in Trees, I would describe very similarly to like a band like um, MGMT um, from like the mid to late 2000s, in that like a lot of their music has very upbeat, bouncy, energetic sound. While the lyrics are sometimes a little bit about like contrast, contrastedly about struggles and suffering mm. um they're a band that i found through tiktok um weirdly a couple of like my most listened to songs last year came from bands i found through tiktok um, um they're currently doing their debut album and i think that it strikes a really good balance as did their set last night because you know they only really have one album right now so you get a good like the album mix translates very well to to the stage mm -hmm. of Conveying a lot of like really emotionally moving themes, but ending on a really positive, bright, upbeat note. Mm -hmm. um, the structure of the set list they did last night was very like come in bouncing and energetic, and in like sort of toward the middle build towards quite open and vulnerable tracks about like, hey, all of my friends are dying and the planet is dying and everything's really scary and I don't know what to do and it's really paralyzing. Mm. But then building back up energetically towards its big crescendo at the end with a track called Reverberate, which um, 
despite only finding it in like August, September, was my most listened to song on Spotify oh, last yeah. year. Um, that is this really uplifting, positive track of it's it's their album's um famous last words off of the Black Parade, and it's mm-hmm. that I am not afraid to keep on living mentality. Yeah. It's a very like. I love my friends, they make me feel alive again, they remind me that life is still worth living and that it's worth mm-hmm, mm-hmm. going. Um, really fantastic track and like a much needed positive note to end mm-hmm. that set on. I really enjoyed that night of music. The opening acts were really good, they did a very good job of bringing people on board. Very good queer femme crowd. Um, yeah, it sounded of, like it was a, a very queer crowd. Yeah, lots and lots of pride flags being waved, yeah. which is always real nice. Um, lots and lots of rainbow hair. Nice. Um, but I think the best compliment I can say for seeing them live, um, for, for a band that's on their like debut album and this little venue in Camden is by far the biggest show they've ever played. Mm. They put on a very polished, very impressive stage presence. Mm -hmm. Um, They made very good use of lighting. Like, they had lots of little fairy lights strung up around the mic stands. They had Mm -hmm. lovely little hanging lights. They had smoke machines. They had some... They put on a very good stage show, but, like, the best thing I can say for them is they managed something I've only seen done a couple of times in that they got that room to erupt with volume um the closest comparison point i can make to it was the first time i saw mike and romance play na 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 in hammersmith when danger days hadn't even come out yet but mm-hmm. the single had been released and people were losing their mind to see it played live yeah in that when they ended the set the main set on reverberate the crowd in that room drowned out the sound system and the people <laughs> on stage yeah. you could barely hear the the band because that room was just fucking singing their heart out and i that's got to be massively overwhelming for a band oh yeah no that (laughs) one of the one of the guitarists looked about ready to cry (laughs) it was beautiful um yeah i this is this is high praise i very rarely see a band achieve what bears and trees did last night of completely just the room was on their every word. Nice. They fucking... It, it's one of the best live performances of, like, a new up-and-coming band I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a very promising future ahead of them, I think. Like, mm-hmm. it It reminded me a lot of what was... Um, it reminded me of seeing the Hoosiers live as a support act for air traffic in... Must have been like 2005, and this was just before they had their first like big radio successful number one single. Mm-hmm. And there was something about being in that room of like, oh, you are about to explode. I'm seeing something magical here, and you are gonna really fucking take off any mm. minute now. And it felt really magical to be in that room. Yeah. So yeah, one of the best live music performances I've been to in a while, and I'm. I'm very glad I went. It was it was a really lovely night. Yay! Also, very very autism friendly crowd. There's a little autism corner forming of just like, hey, we all need a little <laughs> bit of space and not too crowded. And everyone was very respectful and had just like little little stim corner left nice. safe. It's very nice. Yeah, very very welcoming crowd. That's always good when that sort of thing will develop naturally and yeah. um, still be close enough to the stage that you can enjoy things. Yeah, because it... I think there's a lot of. Um, 
more mainstream stuff where you might have needed that and had to move way to the back yes. and off to one side. Exactly. Like rather than like um people who were very clearly like I've got my ear defenders on and I'm struggling a little bit rather than being sort of helped to the back. It was like, hey, right at the front, right by the barrier, mm. left-hand side. Um, for anyone who's been to the electric ballroom on the left-hand side, there are some little steps up to a area that's often used for like wheelchair users to sit. Mm-hmm. Basically, that whole left side at the bottom of the stairs by the barrier, completely unused and was just a little autism corner. Yay. Um, and that meant that everyone got to be up near the front and like yeah. near enough to be seeing like a pretty straight on view. It was it was just a really nice crowd. Yay. Yeah. What about you? What are you listen to this week? Uh listen to the three hour and forty one minute long mix of Orchestral Legend of Zelda tracks. That was a good mix. It was a good mix and it was nice while we were playing Gloomhaven. <laughs> Because we often listen to like those dark ambient D and D mixes, <laughs> um, so it was nice to have something a bit more sort of upbeat and yeah, and 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 like, but but done in a very fancy style. I do like the orchestrations of, uh, yeah. of the lost stuff. I've I've somewhere got the the official CD of the twenty fifth anniversary symphonic concert. Yes, it's um, um, in the Skyward Sword box. Yeah, it is a oh, it's it's a beautiful. I got to see that live in London. They nice. they did such a good job. Yes, I mean, yeah, we've we've got it on CD, but I don't think. Have you got a CD player? I think the consoles are CD players. Like I, I think so. you pop it in the Xbox and play a CD. I forget which ones have still got CDs on, because <laughs> <laughs> neither of our PCs do, and your laptop doesn't. Wait, my PC no, doesn't. it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Does it not? No. I thought I had a disk drive on my. No, you do not. Well, <laughs> shows... doesn't even open. It's full of. It's all fans at the front of yours. Shows when I last needed <laughs> to use a CD. <laughs> <laughs> At least over a year ago now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 beautiful music done really nicely, and for like three hours you don't have to change anything. Yeah, nice. Uh, well, I think that's everything I've listened to. I think that's everything I've listened to. Well then, <gasps> time for this. Oh, um, oh goodness, we've 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 got a blip incoming. Is it the enemy? General, is it the enemy? I'm still deciding, soldier. Should we go to Red Lad? No, I'm I'm going to keep glaring at it. Activate passive-aggressive tail flick while keeping everything else completely still. Aye, aye. General, the king close-up. Hold. General. Hold. They've got something with them. It could be a weapon. Hold on, soldier. General, they're getting too close. They're, they're about to hit us. It's too late. Mm-hmm. Brushy, 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 brush. Mm. We are defeated. Mm, brushy, wow. brushy. I am sick of all these politicians telling me what to do and all this bureaucracy. Uh, uh, who decides what I can do? Oh, um, well, weirdly enough, I, I agree with you, um, that politicians telling you what to do in bureaucracy is terrible. Um, as a trans person, I'm constantly being told what to do and put under bureaucracy. Therefore, yeah, you should, you, yeah, you see, right? I, I hate when people, uh, when, when my personal freedoms are, are limited. I, I can't be doing with that. 
Exactly. Trans people. Personal personal freedoms being limited all the time by uh, limiting our access to consent to healthcare and and whatnot. Well, I mean, I hate when I'm told I can't make decisions about my own healthcare and you know deciding. I I with my body, my choice. I you know I can put one in there if I want to take all these supplements. If I want to you know if I want to try the Spiro. If I want to you know try the hormone therapy. I I want the choices to do all that on my own decisions. Exactly, exactly right. Like, look, trans people, we've got the same thing. Granted. Anti-vax beliefs of you know, hurting other people, but uh, yourselves. But like, you can say, we we just want to do things that are gonna, you know, we can take our own risks for ourselves and do what's good for us. Um, uh, here's all I will say to you. I'm pretty sure the most anti-left-wing thing you could do. You like your right-wing beliefs, right? Oh yeah. Don't like the left? No, can't stand them. Yeah. Well, the left love to put up gatekeeping walls in front of trans people. They love to uh, make bureaucracy for trans people. Now, while I'm all for building walls. Exactly. They, they hate when trans people have personal freedoms and can't make decisions about their own. The most right-wing thing you could do is support trans people. For freedom. For freedom, yes. Yeah. Because the left wing aren't doing it. Support trans people. Yeah. 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 That'll show those liberal cucks. Oh, I'm sure it will. You're so smart. Yeah, I am. Anyway, buy my supplements. Go enjoy your Spyro. Feeling very tender right now. Do you know what I want to see more of? What do you want to see more of? Brochure Justice Warriors. Brochure Justice Warriors? Yeah. All right, Larry. All right, Larry. How you doing? Struggling a bit, mate, but you know. Yeah, same, it's, uh, I don't know what it is today, I'm, 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 I'm on a rough one. Yeah, yeah. You've uh, you been up to much? Oh, you know, I've been, uh, I've been, been, uh, watching more people argue for debates. Oh, uh, yeah. And like, I'm not talking, you know, like, you know, political debates or whatnot, but the, uh, that internet phenomenon of, uh, debate, the debate me, bro, MG. Debate me, you cowards. Exactly. I've been thinking a lot about the mechanics of how that, uh, how that works, particularly, I've been thinking a lot about how that's used against the trans community at the moment, because uh, yeah. debate on the grounds of an oppressor is a bit of a double-edged sword, because you, yeah, yeah. you never see anti-trans lot, you, lots, you know, coming and, and talking in spaces controlled by trans people about their views. It's always come to our big event where a bunch of anti-trans people will look at you, the minority, and, you know, get angry at you. Yeah, absolutely. And, like... The way it works, and I, I think this is the like the the, the the trap of being invited to debate by oppressors, is that the oppressor is surrounded by people who will, you know, support their view, regardless of whether it's accurate, will not fact-check them, yeah. will control how much, you know, rebuttal room is actually given to the oppressed. Yeah. Um, usually it's a trap. Usually, if you were invited to have a debate with your oppressor, it is because the oppressor is confident that they can, through deceit or manipulation, you know, uh, make you look uh, bad, wrong, exactly, um, you know, morally uh, questionable. Exactly, they can they can pre-plan basically to be like, we're going to throw out so many debunked nonsense things that you have to spend the whole time being on the back foot debunking yeah, yeah, us yeah. not actually making your argument and constantly making the same arguments over it, and over exactly and, and like you know you just, just all you're doing is giving them sound bites to clip out and you know cherry pick what they yeah, hear to yeah, try yeah. and make your side look bad 
But the problem is, is obviously if you say and you, you know, they will be the first ones to jump up and be like, oh, they are, they're, 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 they're that, that's edited. That exactly. never said that exactly. But like the problem is, is if you say no to debate, it's seen as giving a de facto win to the oppressors. You know, they will parade. You have no as, argument. That's why yeah, you won't debate. You're me. afraid to debate me. To debate me, you, you know, you have no arguments. Clearly, you're only stepping back because you would lose, and not because you know, for example you would be harassed regardless of what you say that like you know there is no winning a good faith debate against a group that is not being upfront about what they actually believe you know dance around there is no good way to win a debate on the grounds of the oppressor nah and like you know it inevitably becomes necessary at times but like so often what ends up happening is that experienced folks know not to do these debates and that means they will pick people who are like newly out yeah who are not academics in their circle who don't have memorized all of the counter arguments use them for some cheap points for their camp and or just complain that no one will debate them yeah absolutely yeah it's uh it's it's a difficult situation that they have created in order to, you know, win points over on minorities. And uh, it's it's unfortunate that they end up getting seen as so justified by so many people that because of the arguments they make rather than seen as exactly what they are, which is a, a horrible manipulators trying to just make things worse for, you know, a, an oppressed minority. Exactly, exactly. Uh... It's frustrating to see. Terribly, mate. Terribly. Did you uh, fancy a hug? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Ah, good hug, mate. Good hug. Right, so I... uh... Then go and pop the kettle on. Yeah, it sounds like a plan. Nice, nice. So, Laura. Yes? We've got pre-orders open for a book. Yes, we do. Do you want to tell people what that book is? That book is Who Hunts the Whale. It's a silly and serious and satirical look at the the world of video games. Yeah. Think Supremacy Software if they had a whole book from the point of view of somebody... Who was a PA and was was never listened to was, in those board meetings was, that you get to listen to? Yeah, someone who went, hey, I'd love to work for my vid- favourite video game publisher. Oh no, I'm sat in a room with the Supremacy Software board members. Oh god. Yeah, it, imagine that if you were listening to the Supremacy Software skits that we do, or previously Electronic Act Softworks... And and just like, what would it be like if you were a PA that literally worked for that company and were hearing full versions of these meetings every single month? Yep. And having to be right there inside the company while they were doing awful things. Yeah. You can go uh, you can go back the book on Unbound. It's you hit can. 100%, so it's definitely happening. But yeah. you can get uh, signed copies, you can yeah. get swag bundles, you can swag get all bundle. sorts of things. You can get a Skype call with... Yeah. Uh, I think maybe. there's one Skype call left. I think there's one Skype call tier left. Yeah. Um, you can go support the book. Yeah, you can get all those things. And that's at unbound.com slash books slash whale. Indeed. Yeah. What about the other book that you have got? Well, the other book I've got coming out on August 18th is Me and My Dysphoria Monster, an illustrated children's book using accessible language to talk about dysphoria as either 
a way to give children language to talk about their own experiences, or for adults to explain what they're going through to children who might have questions and need that explained in an accessible way. Mm-hmm. It's coming out on August 18th. That's real soon. It's a, it's available wherever books are sold for pre-order. Go give it a pre-order. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of that book. I got to see the back cover of it the other day, like the full front and back cover spread. It looks gorgeous. The whole thing looks gorgeous. I wanted to Your cry. Artist it. is amazing. It's so sweet. I'm so happy about this whole thing. Um... But yeah, other than that, Laura K. Buzz on all the things. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. Just go search Laura K. Buzz. You'll find all my stuff. What about you? Me, patreon.com slash stonedmonkeyradio for as little as a dollar a month. And uh, those are the, the ones that, that are super helpful. A constant yeah. trickle of one dollar a month. You can help me hit my goal of 30 Patreons. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I am. Um, yeah. Patreon.com slash stonedmonkeyradio. You can find mm, pretty much everything I do. And if you get $10 a month, you can get early access to all the things. But it's not the amount, it's the regularity that really helps drive it all home. And it's all of my Patreons are very much appreciated. And they're lovely and good and deserve headpats and snags. Yeah! Uh, Also, all my other links are streamerlinks.com slash janiac, J-A-N-E-I-A-C. You can get access to my, you can find my Twitter and my Redbubble where I design t-shirts and all sorts of other stuff that I do. I make music under the name Bedroom Programmer, and that's all the things I do, Laura. Will you sing us out, please, darling? <gasps> Until next time, be a stranger.